Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hi, and welcome to episode 41. I just got back from the Family History Expo in St. George, Utah, and it was an absolutely terrific conference. I've never been to this event before, but I can tell you that I will definitely be attending in the future. There was so much to see and to do and to learn. Tons of people visited the Genealogy Gems booth, and I welcome all of you new listeners. I'm so glad that you're having a chance to join us here on the show. And there is nothing better than getting that chance to get together and chat with people in person. And and that's what's so wonderful about these genealogy conferences. And we had a table full of listeners who joined me at the Friday night banquet. Um, Jack Duffy and his daughter, Anna Marie, um, Mark Baldwin, made it out to the conference from California. And a wonderful couple, Sue and Albert Sevy, all joined my husband, Bill and I, and we had a grand time. And you can see a photo of our happy party in the episode 41 show notes at the website. I also got an opportunity to give a presentation. Uh, it was called Google, a gold mine of genealogy gems. That should be familiar to many of you um, longtime listeners. And I was shocked when it became standing room only and the audience literally flowed out into the lobby. It was so great to see genealogists excited about embracing this uh, internet resource. And I managed to fit in about a half a dozen interviews with some of the best in genealogy, including my friend Allison Stacy, who's editor-in-chief of Family Tree Magazine, and Marcy Brown, uh, one of the co-founders of Roots Television. So you can look forward to hearing some of those interviews in the next few episodes. Gosh, let's see what else is happening. Um, Ancestry launched the California Voters Registration Database just a few weeks ago, and I spent several hours combing through it um, before I ran out the door to the conference. I think I've collected over 50 records so far, and it was amazing to be able to trace my ancestors' movements nearly every two years for several decades. And if you have California ancestors, you're definitely going to want to check out uh, this new database at Ancestry.com. Oh, and here's something nifty that I came across when going through the database. I was looking up my great Aunt Martha's voters registration, and I found a record that was listed in a database that actually covered several years. It was like 1928 to 1932, something like that. But the specific year of the record was only on the pages themselves, and they were pretty difficult to read. I could see that it was taken on a Tuesday, and the day was November 4th. And the year looked like 1930, but I just wasn't sure. And then I remembered about a website that has a tool that allows you to enter a date in history, and it would tell you what day of the week it was. It's called Day of the Week, and it's at searchforancestors.com. I entered the November 4th, 1930 date, and sure enough, it came back as a Tuesday. So I knew I had the right year. Um, You can try it out for yourself, and I will have a link to that uh, searchforancestors.com day of the week tool on Genealogy Gems episode 41 show notes. And I want to say thanks to George Morgan of the Genealogy Guys for talking about the Genealogy Gems podcast on their January 16th, 2008 episode. 
And welcome to uh, you new listeners who have found your way here from there. Um, we're really glad to have you aboard. So thanks so much for the mention, George. And I had a lovely birthday present on February 5th when I got an email letting me know that my Heritage Quilts video, uh, which goes along with, uh, I think it was episode 40, would be featured on the Roots Television homepage. So it was really nice to finally get to meet Samantha Butterworth and Marcy Brown and Megan Smolniak of Roots Television in person at the conference and get a chance to spend some time visiting with them and exploring some ideas for future collaboration. So stay tuned for more about that in the weeks to come. Well, there's a lot going on, but the highlight of every week for me is hearing from you. And that's just what we're going to do as we visit the mailbox. I got an email from Betty, and she writes, Hi, Lisa. I just looked at the extras on a DVD I rented from Netflix this week, and I thought you might like the information. I remember from a previous podcast that you're a collector of Christmas seals, and many of you will remember the um, podcast and the video from last December. She says, well, the DVD entitled Abbott and Costello, The Christmas Show. Yes, I know it's nearly Valentine's Day, but this one just came out and I couldn't resist, she says. Um, It features several spots for Christmas seals, featuring celebrities such as Rosemary Clooney and Virginia Mayo. Thought you would enjoy watching them for yourself or perhaps adding the DVD to your collection. If you're not a Netflixer, you can also find the DVD listed on Amazon.com. And thanks for an informative podcast. I was very touched by your most recent one talking about your father. I think it's the combination of the practical and the personal that makes genealogy so appealing, and your podcast embodies both aspects. Regards, Betty. Well, thank you, Betty, for the heads up on the Christmas seal spots, Uh, those commercials that are on the Abbott and Costello DVDs. I ordered it from Netflix, and it was a real kick to see all of these famous stars from the 1940s and the early 50s promoting Christmas seals in these um, little commercials. So you listeners take good care of me. Thank you for keeping your eyes peeled for that. Our next email comes from Melissa from Manalapan, New Jersey. And she says, Dear Lisa, just wanted to compliment you on your podcast. I now have silhouettes of my husband and me as our ancestral tree photos. We had silhouettes done 30 years ago in Paris by a street vendor and brought them out again after hearing your podcast. Your storytelling, movie and music recommendations, craft ideas, search ideas, etc. are phenomenal. Oh, thank you very much, Melissa. I'm glad you're enjoying them. She says, episode 39, the story brought tears, sad but happy tears. About everything you mention makes me progress more in being creative with my family tree. Can't wait for the quilting podcast. I have several in my trunk. Ooh, that sounds good. She's, and you can see Melissa's Parisian silhouettes on the Genealogy Gems listeners page. And that's a page where I just get a chance to show you guys off and have photos of you and some of the projects and things that you've done that you send me. And I wanted to mention to you that I've moved the listeners page into the podcast section, since obviously listeners are listening to podcasts. I thought it would be a little bit easier to find and um, kind of streamline things. So when you go to genealogygens.tv, click the podcast button, and there you will find the link to the listener page. And Pat Telpaez writes, I wanted to let you know that I have combined several of your genealogy gems into my everyday family history work. 
One episode featured a recommendation to take recording family history in small bites. That struck me as very practical and an easy way to tackle a formidable task, so I started right away by writing an electronic journal I cleverly call What I Remember About. I considered this to be very rewarding, but it was only my personal recollections and weren't shared with the family members. In the meantime, I also started blogging enthusiastically as a means of sharing family history with the husband's side of the family. They seemed to enjoy the stories I can put together about their ancestors, but I did not have the same rich story content from my own side. So I've put my What I Remember essays up on my family blog and invited comments, made so very easy by Google. It is an easy, non-intrusive way to lure family members into an interest in family history. It involves them directly with their own memories. And I anticipate some ribbing between siblings in the storytelling, but it will be documented and so much fun to look at years from now. Your gems across the last several months have led to this for me, and I'd like to say thanks for your efforts to generate the entertaining and useful podcast. P.S. I also downloaded the Family Tree song from Venice, and I am so glad I did. What a comforting song, and you were right when you noted it deserved to be shared. Wow, Pat, I love how you put the gems into action. And that's really the key, isn't it? I mean, nothing really gets done unless you take action on it. So good for you for getting going on your blogging and your What I Remember essays. And I continue to receive emails about the last few episodes, 39 and 40. Men in particular seem to be touched by my story about my dad, and I think that is so great. Sean Sexton wrote to say, Lisa, all right, you've now done two consecutive podcasts that had me crying while listening and vowing that I had to drop you a note just to say thanks. So thank you. Let me start with your one-hour interview with Venice in episode 38. Absolutely wonderful. As I'm sure you've heard from many other people, the guys from Venice make such wonderful music. And it's amazing that someone can write a new song that no one has ever heard before and have it go straight to the heart and feel like a ballad that I've known all my life. Incredible. I was taking the trash bin to the curb while I listened. And in my case, this means walking down a thousand-foot gravel driveway and then back up. It was fairly late at night, not too cold for Minnesota, stars overhead. And so the beautiful harmonies and sentiments in the family tree fit perfectly into the setting and my mood. I vowed that I had to write and say thank you. And then you did it again in episode 39, your story of reconciling with your dad after so many years and finding the family treasures. Again, you had me so captivated with tears rolling down my face as I listened. I think that what is going on here is that you're just tapping into some huge emotional undercurrent that is just about the most powerful emotional force in the universe. I see it as the emotional echo of all the people who've left their mark on our lives and then passed on. It's the energy that's just out there always telling us that we're loved and that we're a product of so many years of love. When I feel this or tap into it, I sometimes feel like it's as if I'm on a stage living out my life for the world and all those who've passed are standing in the wings. They were also on the stage and played out their parts, and now they are just standing quietly in the wings, faces beaming, silently cheering me on. And I think this undercurrent of love and positive energy is a big part of why so many of us get into genealogy. For me, it's what really matters and what is most important, because everything I do in my own life just adds to the stream or song or whatever it is. And even when daily life grabs all of our attention and we end up just running around trying to get everything going... The background family energy is still there, waiting to reignite. 
Wow, what can I add to that? Sean is so eloquent in his description of what genealogy means to him. Thank you so much for sharing that with all of us, Sean. Michael Brown made his point short and sweet when he wrote, Do you know how hard it is to drive in heavy Los Angeles traffic during rush hour with your eyes completely clouded with tears? I do now. (laughs) But it wasn't just Genealogy Gems listeners who were moved to write. I also heard from a couple of the history podcasters that I recommended to you in episode 39. Tony from the Binge Thinking History Podcast writes, Just want to say thanks for mentioning the Binge Thinking History Podcast in episode 39. It's much appreciated. It's also great to find a genealogy podcast as my father has just embarked on trying to piece together our family tree. Thanks again and all the best, Tony. Ah, perhaps he's going to catch the genealogy bug. And Jim Mowat of History Zine Podcast in Britain also wrote to say, Many thanks for the shout out on podcast episode 39. I noticed the incoming link to my homepage and came over here and discovered a really delightful podcast. I listened as you mentioned History Zine, but actually found your podcast very entertaining indeed. It was surprising to me as genealogy has appealed to me only a little, but the story of your reunion with your father was so touching it brought a tear to my eye. I've done some inquiring into my family background, but not a great deal. I have a few relatives that are of interest. My surname, Mowat, is quite unusual, so most people of that name have a fairly direct connection. This does make it a little easier for me than for many other people, as I can connect back and forth from older to newer and newer to older. There are so many things I wish to research, and I'll not be alive long enough to research them all. Most frustrating. Anyway, thanks for the shout-out on your podcast. It was much appreciated. Well, Jim, I hope I can entice you to keep probing into your family tree. We'll make a family historian out of you yet. Thank you for writing. And you'll be hearing more from Jim later on in this episode, so stay tuned. But first, I've got a Lulu of a gem for you. When I was looking to publish my book, Genealogy Gems, Ultimate Research Strategies, I selected Lulu Publishing because of their easy-to-use online tools, and they have a really quality product. They not only publish my paperback book, but you can now also buy it in a digital download form. Well, I got to wondering the other day what other genealogy resources might be on Lulu, so I went for a browse on lulu.com, and here's what I found. A search of the word genealogy brought up over a thousand offerings, and the phrase family history brings up over 1,100. And there's a wide range of materials that you can get. Um, In addition to books, you can also find digital CDs, which might have... Um, text as well as photographs. They have videos, even calendars people have put together, music and artwork. And best of all, there are many one-of-a-kind items published by other family historians just like us. A quick search of your surname or county where your ancestor lived could result in some really good gems. Now, since the search field also searches the author's name, you'll want to combine a surname search along with um, words like family or genealogy just to narrow things down. But the beauty of Lulu.com is that anyone can publish with them. So that means that you'll find books and booklets and CDs and so forth that would have been unobtainable just a few years ago when the only way to publish and distribute your work would be to uh, get a contract, you know, with a large publishing house. 
Well, now genealogists can publish their research online through Lulu. And it doesn't have to be some big 300-page comprehensive work. It might just be a collection of stories about an ancestor, maybe somebody who served in a particular military conflict. For example, I found a small book by somebody named Graham Cook, and it was Cook with an E, about his grandfather who served in World War I. It wasn't a, a whole life story, but rather a glimpse into the military career that his grandfather really had never spoken of, and that Graham only learned about after inheriting some of his personal possessions after his death. So when you find something like this, you can go in and preview the pages, just like you might on Amazon.com, and look through the book in the Lulu listing. And you can purchase it either as a paperback, or many of them do offer the digital download, which you can get immediately. And like most online stores, the more you buy, the more you save on the combined shipping. So, you know, why not pick up a copy of my book, Genealogy Gems, uh, Ultimate Research Strategies, and then you could go through and browse and pick out a few more Lulu genealogy items, things that might help you along. Because you'll save on shipping and you'll be, of course, supporting the free Genealogy Gems podcast when you do buy the book. Lulu is really a great resource for genealogy items that you can really use to move your research forward. So you should check it out and check back often to see what new things are getting published out there. And stay tuned because I'm going to be covering how to publish your own genealogy materials through Lulu so that you can share your findings with your relatives across the country and genealogists around the world. And that'll be coming up in a future podcast. Valentine's Day is just a few days away. And I thought it would be fun to visit some stories of romance from my family history. Now, you probably have similar stories like this in your family tree. So sit back and enjoy these stories of yesteryear's love. And perhaps they will inspire you to ask around your family for the origins of the ties that bind in your family tree. Our first story comes from the box of letters. I told you in episode 39 how my grandmother had shared them with me years ago, and when she passed away, I became their keeper. They tell a Depression-era story of love between Pauline Herring and J.B. Moore, my grandparents. They were two kids from Oklahoma who met and then were separated by the hard times. J.B. traveled with his brothers throughout Oklahoma and even out west to Colorado and California, finding work where they could. J.B. continued to court Pauline through his letters, and it was a long, lonely period of separation that they endured. The letters have always surprised me because I never envisioned my Grandpa J.B. as a romantic man. I always knew him as a large, hard-working, kind of jovial man who loved to tease and he loved to laugh. Well, that happy character comes through, and I also find a sweet, sensitive side to him that I'm happy to get to know. Most of the letters are from my grandfather J.B., since Pauline saved them all, but a few of them are her return letters, and together they paint a picture of love just right for Valentine's Day. March 20th, 1935, to Miss Pauline Herring, Wilberton, Oklahoma, from Mr. J.B. Moore, Fraser, Colorado. Dearest Pauline, you said your mother opened your package, the one I sent you, you tell her she'd better not open the next one or she might find me in there myself. Gee, honey, I sure wish I could come back down there now, but I guess I will have to wait until spring. Oh, say, hasn't it been about a year since we first met? 
but I know you couldn't miss me as much as I miss you. When I am here, I just sit around and I get so lonesome sometimes I'd just rather be dead. So bye-bye and be a good little girl and answer me real soon with a real, real long letter. When rocks and fields divide us and you no more I see, just step up to the looking glass and kiss yourself for me. April 15, 1935 to Pauline Herring from J.B. Moore in Fraser, Colorado. The following poem was actually enclosed on a plain brown paper. In Love It makes me so uncomfortable and also sort of thrilly. I think there's no one like you, but then you'll say I'm silly. I'm way down in the depths or way up with a star. I'm never calm and peaceful. It all depends on how you are. Of course, nobody else has ever felt this way. The older folks don't understand things of the present day. Now many fall in love, at least I guess they do, but I couldn't be the same, for there's no one else like you. August 20th, 1934, to Pauline from JB. Dearest friend, I would come down, but you didn't ask me to, so I don't guess I'll be there. I guess you have another boyfriend by now. I haven't went out with a girl since I left you, and I don't intend to as long as you will be that true to me. No, I don't think you will, will you? Dear, you were speaking about cutting your hair. You can do as you please, but I'd rather you wouldn't. I think it's awful pretty, don't you? I'm sure that Mandy won't since Clifton had told her what to do. Yes, I am called out for the CCC camps. I don't know just whether I'll go or not. I would hate to go and kind of would like to go too, just for a change. It is the best job for me now, but if you don't want me to, I won't. But if I do, I am coming down there before I go. That is, if you don't care. October 23, 1934, to Pauline from J.B. Dearest Pauline, We left Wilburton Thursday evening at 7 o'clock and got here Monday at 1.30. We would have got here sooner, but we stayed in Texas all day Saturday and Saturday night. It sure did surprise my brother Earl when we came in. I sure do think lots of his wife. She was the first one we met when we got off the train at Fraser. She was just standing there at the depot. She knew me, but I didn't know her. She didn't say anything at all. We stood there a few minutes, and I walked over where she was, and I asked if she knew where Earl Moore lived, and then she just went to laughing and told me who she was. She is as good as she can be. She's only 16 and was just 15 when they married. Earl was working on the railroad, and Bill went to work this morning. I guess it will be a week before I can get to work, but we all are going to work together. I think it will be a pretty good job. So answer real soon with a long letter, and please say you still love me. So goodbye. Your best friend, JB. P.S. Answer real, real soon. November 2nd, 1934. From JB in Fraser, Colorado. Dearest Pauline. Well, dear, I don't know what much to write, but I can say it is plenty cold here. I've been working on the railroad. I started the day after I wrote you my letter, and I have been working every day since, and I had to work Sunday. But I don't care much for I didn't have anything else to do, and I guess I will have to work next Sunday. I don't know just how long I will get to work on the railroad, but there is plenty of work here. No, I don't think I will go to the CCC camps, for I can make more here than I could make there. I wish there was as much work at Wilburton where you are as there is here, because if there was, I wouldn't stay no place but there. I can't hardly stand it here, but I know there isn't nothing down there for me but you, and I don't know if I'm going to get you or not but I'm doing my best. 
I don't think that I will come back to Wilburton until next June. That is a mighty long time, but I think I had better stay here and work this winter, don't you? But you'll forget me by then, won't you? But I would never forget you, even if I never see you again. But don't think I won't come back, for if you don't forget me, we will spend the next 4th of July together, and maybe sooner than that. I was beginning to think I wasn't going to hear from you this time, but I was most pleased to get your letter. Oh, say, I am writing Dad a few lines tonight, and I'm going to have him send you that picture, and you can keep it from me, and many thanks for sending me the negative. I will send them back as soon as I have them made. Well, dear, I have wrote all I know and more, too. So, dear, answer real soon and another long letter. So, goodbye. Remember me, and don't forget, the blue-eyed girl is my pick yet. P.S. Answer real, real soon. I'm enclosing a couple of stamps. December 15th, 1934. To J.B. from Pauline. No, dear, I haven't married yet. I think enough of you to invite you to the wedding. <laughs> but don't hold your breath till you get an invitation. I'm sending this letter to Colorado because I didn't think you would still be at Lodi, California. I'm writing your folks a card so that if you are still in Lodi, they can forward this letter to you. Don't you think I've changed quite a lot before you were down here? I bet you would think I have changed lots more if you could see me now. I don't know, but but seems like I am so much different than I used to be. I asked Mother what she wanted me to tell you, and she said she had a patch of greens planted. If you needed your looks improved, you knew where to come. Ha ha! That's the reason I'm so ugly. I don't eat greens. Oh, how I wish you were close so you could come to see me once in a while. I hope you get to come for Christmas. Do if it is possible. Well, sweetheart, I must close as I don't know much more news this afternoon. So I will hush for now and wait patiently for a sweet answer from you, dear. I remain as ever yours, loving Pauline. December 12, 1934. From J.B. in Fraser, Colorado. Dearest sweetheart, I will try to scratch you a few lines tonight. I'm here alone. You said that you had rather that that had been me that I sent you than my picture. But I don't believe you care anything for me at all. Dear, if you don't, I had rather you would tell me now than later on. It nearly breaks my heart to think if you don't. You know I love you, and I always have since we started going together. You said you didn't care for me going with the girls out here. And I said I didn't care for you going with the boys down there. Well, I've got to close, for I can't write no more. So please answer this letter at once, dear. Bye-bye. On reading minds or reading palms, I would not want a minute. But how I'd like to read your heart and see if I am in it. February 1st, 1935. To Pauline in Wilburton, Oklahoma. From JB in West Portal, Colorado. Dearest sweetheart, I'll try to drop you a few lines tonight. As I received your letter today and sure was glad to hear from you, but was very sorry to hear that you've been sick. Hoping you are all better now. This leaves me just fine and still trying to work a little. I sure got scared last Tuesday night. The Moffat Tunnel, where I've been working, caught on fire about two and a half miles back in the tunnel, and we had to go back there and put it out. The fellows was running pretty fast, and I didn't see the fire until it was too late to stop, and we ran right through the fire. But we was all in the inside of the car, and it didn't hurt no one. But there sure was a bunch scared. <laughs> Believe me, I was glad to get back on the outside. Honey, you didn't answer my question, but that is okay. You told me all I wanted to know. We will wait until I come down and then decide the rest. I think that would be best, don't you? 
I'm going to let you decide everything. Anything you say is okay with me, you know? I know we're both pretty young, but I think we'd make it just fine, don't you? There is one thing I wouldn't do at all. That is, I wouldn't live in a house with anyone, for no two homes can get along, or I never seen that any could, did you? Well, honey, I have wrote all I know, and I'm going to ring off and go to bed. Hope to hear from you soon. Your loving friend, J.B. On February 12, 1936, Pauline received an envelope with two valentines. March 10, 1936, to Pauline in Rolf, Oklahoma, from J.B. Dearest one, Hun, I have been oh so lonesome since you've been gone. I couldn't realize how much you meant to me until you was gone. And then I wished I hadn't said and done some of the things I did. I have sure been doing some studying. I don't know if I would like it out there or not, but I guess I would. I don't care where I am as long as I'm with you, my little sweet darling. I couldn't tell you when I was with you how I felt. But being as you are gone, I can tell you everything and just how lonely I am. I often wonder if you feel that way too. Honey, if you were in the least bit of doubt, just tell me. I would rather you would tell me now than after we were married. I know that I am not in doubt at all. You are the one and the only one I will ever love. March 1936 to J.B. from Pauline. Sunday evening, Aileen and I went over in the pasture after the cows, and we went down the road so we wouldn't get so muddy, for it sure rained Saturday night. And we went by the mailbox, and just before we got there, I said to Aileen, I wish there was a letter in there from J.B., but I wasn't expecting to receive anything. <laughs> to my surprise, there was a bird nest in the box. I threw the nest away and cleaned out the dirt so that the letter I was going to get from you the next day wouldn't get dirty. But the next day didn't come until today. Gee, hun, I am always going on with such nonsense, am I not? I bet you must read my letters and say that I am crazy. Dear, Ruby and Aileen ordered a big order from the Sears Roebuck last week. Aileen ordered a roll of cotton and some material for the lining, and we put her quilt up yesterday and quilted it. Finished it this morning. It didn't take us long to quilt one quilt. When we finished, we put the old cat on it and shook her up and down, and she ran out by me. We sure had some fun. Aileen dropped her corner of the quilt so that the cat would run out by her, and of course, she fell on the floor by her and ran out the door by me. Did you ever hear of anyone being so goofy? We was just acting silly. Dear, I don't think I weigh more than 100 pounds now that I've been feeling so bad, and Mother wouldn't let me saw any wood. Said I was working myself to death. I haven't sawed any wood since you left. Dear, news is as scarce as a hen's teeth with me, so I must say goodbye and go cook supper. Answer real soon with a smile. Be a sweet little boy. I am lovingly your sweetheart, Pauline. April 1st, 1936. To JB from Pauline. Say, kiddo, why didn't you say something about sending us some valentines? On the envelope, you wrote Route 1, and it went to Johnson's box, as your other letter did, and she neglected sending it on until Thursday. She wrote on the envelope that she couldn't think to send it to me, so she guessed I would want to kill her, but I was just glad that she sent them. Oh, gee, they were cute. Aileen said that she wished she could have had them when you were here so she could have thanked you personally. She sure did think her valentine was cute, and boy, don't you never think I don't know they were for sure pretty. I bet you thought we didn't like them by not saying anything about them, but we didn't have them then. So we are sending our appreciation that you thought of us on Valentine's Day. May 12, 1936. To JB from Pauline. Dearest sweetheart, how are you this morning? 
See, hon, I was sure tickled to get your sweet letter and also your picture, although I have one like it, but it's real small. I almost had my housework done except sweeping, and the mailman came by and left some mail with Mrs. Douglas where I'm working, and she went out and got it and came in and said, Turn that sweeper off. You got a letter from your little hubby. I was surprised in you answering so quick. You always wait a week before answering. But boy, don't you think for a minute I don't want you to answer quick, for I get so lonesome. It always cheers me up to get a sweet long letter from you. I sure am glad that you have a steady job. I like my job fine. I've wished lots of times I was keeping house for you and I instead of for someone else. Honey, do you mean you're building us a house? Just one room or two or what? What kind of furniture are you going to get? Doesn't make me any difference. Yes, dear, I'll come anytime you want me to. And dear, I don't care about waiting for the rings, if you'll get them sometime afterwards. I laughed at Mrs. Douglas. She said that they were married and that they didn't have any money to get the rings, so they decided to wait until sometime afterwards. So this last Christmas, they got their Christmas gifts, and she got him a nice rocking chair. Well, he came home with her present and laid it down, and it was a pair of house shoes. She said it made her so doggone mad, said she just swelled up and wouldn't say anything. She said they all got nice gifts from one another, and there he was, coming with a pair of house shoes. Said he tried to get her to try them on, and she wouldn't. So finally, he coaxed her until she went over and picked one up, and she felt something in the toe, and looked, and there was a nice box with both the diamond and the wedding ring. She said she was never so tickled in all her life. Well, bye-bye, honey. I'm going to turn off the radio and go to bed. I'm as ever yours, Pauline. December 6, 1936. To JB from Pauline. Dearest one, dear, if you can't get a house, don't get as much furniture. Just get what we'll have to haul, such as a bed, stove, table and chairs and cabinet. I wish we could be there together and select our furniture, don't you? Listen, dear, try to come soon. You said for me to name the day, and you would come. So I think you should come Saturday or Sunday, don't you? Pauline Herring and J.B. Moore were married December 15, 1936. Way back in Episodes 2 and 3, I shared a portion of the autobiography of my husband's grandfather, Raymond Cook, who was born in Tunbridge Wells, England in 1894. Raymond immigrated from England to Saskatchewan, Canada in 1912, and in his autobiography, he tells the story of how his love of music led to his finding the love of his life. The newest and largest movie house in Regina had a fine six-piece orchestra imported from Cleveland, Ohio. It was called the Rex. One day, the director, Tom Bellamy, had to return to Cleveland on account of illness. So I was offered the job and took it. We also played dinner music at the King's Hotel, Regina's largest. We played one hour every night, for which we received our dinner. It was the finest playing job I had found so far. In the meanwhile, Isabel Osborne had left the Shepherd Sisters musical group and had gone to Eau Claire to play in a movie house. She later went to Minneapolis and played there in a movie house with a small orchestra. She also played in Minneapolis at the Kaiserhof restaurant, which was very popular at that time. It was here that she met May Pauley, a violinist. May had a sister who was married to a man in Medicine Hat, Canada. He owned a theatre there. 
May wrote him about a job, but he had no opening right then, so sent them some of the addresses of theatre managers in Regina. They eventually got a job there at the Princess Theatre, playing for the pictures in Vaudeville. Isabel and May got an apartment in the Wilden Lodge apartment house on Scar Street. Now, my old piano player, Jack Kerr, also had an apartment there. He and his wife, who worked at the Parliament buildings, met May and Belle and invited Percy Gordon and I over one night, after the show, to meet the two American girls. When the girls arrived, your mother had a gentleman with her, named Howard Pink. Belle had studied cello in Minneapolis with William Lamping, first cellist in the Minneapolis Symphony. She continued her studies in Regina. After a while, Jack Kay asked her to go to her apartment and get her cello. She was gone quite a while, and Jack Kay asked me, as he had noticed me looking at her quite a lot, if I would go and hurry her up and carry her cello. I went, but got a pretty dirty look from Howard Pink. Belle was just coming out of her apartment when I got there, so we stood and talked in the apartment for a while. Finally, we decided it was time to go back to Kerr's apartment. I was wearing a blue serge suit, and as we entered Kerr's apartment, everyone looked at us. Jack winked at me and smiled at me, and then I noticed my left shoulder was covered with face powder. <laughs> That's how we both met. Take your girly to the movies If you can't make love at home All the soldiers go there when they're on a lark You should see how they maneuver in the dark Take your tips from Douglas Fairbanks And have love scenes of your own Stealing kisses in the dark is just immense where can you get half as much for 20 cents? <laughs> Take your girlie to the movies If you can't make love at home When the show is over and it's time to leave Don't forget to brush the powder from your sleeve <laughs> Take your girlie to the movies If you can't make love at home The theatre where Belle worked backed up to the one I worked in and had stage doors opposite each other across the alley. They were rival theatres owned by two different men. However, after we finished playing the overture, the house lights would dim and the movie would begin. I would steal across the alley and play with Belle in May's orchestra and May would do vice versa. Shortly after that, Belle and I went to work in the Rose Theatre. It was brand new. I directed the eight-piece orchestra. Belle became homesick and returned to her folks in Augusta, Wisconsin. We corresponded for several months, and I decided to visit her and her folks, hoping to get her father's consent to our marriage. I want to say a heartfelt thanks to Jim Mowat, of the History Zine podcast for his terrific portrayal of Raymond Cook. Jim captured Raymond's personality so well and has such a wonderful voice. I hope that we will get to hear more from Mr. Mowat in the future. Until then, you can listen to Jim on the History Zine podcast in iTunes or at historyzine, and that's Z-I-N-E dot com. And of course, I'll have a link for you in the show notes. 
Before we end today, I want to mention that I've been making some changes to the Genealogy Gems website that I hope will make it much more easy for you to find the things that you're looking for. And as always, I really do appreciate your support of the podcast through your purchases made through the Amazon links on the website and by your clicking through the Google ads to check out what the sponsors have to offer. When you think of shopping online, I hope that you'll remember to come on through the Genealogy Gems website to support the free podcast. Thank you so much. And finally, you guys were so wonderful about answering my request for iTunes reviews that I have another idea about how to get the word out about the show to other genealogists. If you're enjoying the show, please consider nominating the Genealogy Gems website for the Family History Magazine site of the week. They're looking to feature websites on their homepage that appeal to a general audience, offer content that benefits family history researchers, and is navigated easily and looks attractive. Well, I hope that Genealogy Gems is just that for you. And if you agree, I'd love it if you drop them a nomination. You can go to familytreemagazine.com slash resources slash nominations dot html and fill out the nomination form. And I'll have a link to that also in the show notes for you. Well, that's about it for this episode. Have a wonderful week and a very, very happy Valentine's Day. And I'll talk to you soon.